Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast. Number one for sport in West Cork. Close your eyes and pull like down. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam McGuire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined as always by Star Sport Editor Kieran McCarthy. With the Christmas season upon us and most of the shopping still not started, we've decided to dedicate today's show to discussing which sports book you should be buying for the sports fan in your life. To help us do it, we've been joined in the studio by Jor McCarthy of the Southern Star, the Irish Examiner and the Echo. Jor is also a published author himself, so he should be well placed to cast judgement on the books we're reviewing today. Later in the show, we're going to chat to Adrian Russell of the 42.ie, whose book The Double has been garnering rave reviews. But before we look at the best of this year's book, lads, I want to get a sense of your favourite sports book that you've ever read, not just this year. I know that's a fairly open question and there's thousands of sports books to choose from but is there one that stands out for you as kind of a, a seminal book in your sports writing or sports reading life uh, Jor will come to you first yeah it's actually an easy one for me because I remember distinctly reading it and it was Rough Ride by Paul Kimmage um, I didn't know an awful lot about what was going on behind the scenes in cycling I, Stephen Roach was a hero of mine as a kid and Sean Kelly and I knew of Kimmage and I'd read one or two things but I picked up Rough Ride and I read it from cover to cover and uh, I was just blown away by the honesty and the brutality and just the, the, the sheer doggedness and, you know, fearlessness of his writing. And it actually started, it inspired me just to keep to keep writing myself uh, from that from that end. And it was just a, an absolutely brilliant read. I mean, you, do, you don't really have to know. The, the best books are the ones that aren't necessarily about the sport itself, but the characters behind it. And it just lifted the lid on so much and opened my eyes to what I didn't know about sport and the realities of it and I, it was it was definitely a big moment if you want to call it a big moment in, in reading I've read like yourselves I've read far too many sports books um, but that one I've always gone back to that's that's really that, that, that for me that was huge yeah that was a game changer uh, Kieran, what about yourself any stand out at the front of your mind call it coincidence or not but it's also a cycling book it's called The Secret Race it was by Tyler Hamilton years ago I think um, six, seven, eight years ago now and it was Daniel Coy who wrote it and it's a brilliant book as well um, Tyler Hamilton was a cyclist with Lance Armstrong and he actually the borrow what you said there kind of he lifted the lid and kind of told what really went on in, in the team that time it was a superb read it was so revealing I think, I think it won the William Hill Sportsbook of the Year or was at least nominated for it but it was another brilliant read and it just goes to show we both picked cycling books yeah. you know kind of what are the odds of that because yeah. when you think kind of the GA soccer yeah, rugby exactly. and all that kind of but it's books like that where you're learning all the time kind of mm. like in that book Tyler Hamilton like when he Revealed, I suppose, what actually went on, really, kind of, with the with the samples and all the the doping in the sport and stuff, and it gave you a look into life as a professional cyclist back then. Like, it was a brilliant read, and it's just one I couldn't put down. Well, there's two books to put on your shopping list. You can probably get them on Amazon for five euro or something <laughs> to that effect. At this stage, that's what happens to books eventually. Uh, um, but anyway, how about you, Jack? Yeah, sure. Uh, my, 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 well. The, the kind of book that really got me interested in, as as listeners will know, I'm a big boxing fan. I mm. try to squeeze some boxing onto the show every week. So the kind of first boxing book that really got me hooked on the sport from a fan's perspective was Dark Trade yes. by 
brilliant. Donald McRae, uh, who's sports book of the year, I think, it's in like 1994. Absolutely so. brilliant book. An absolute crack and read, yeah. And it's not just, as you're saying with the two books, it's it's not like a fight reports. Hmm. It's He really deep dives into the world of boxing, the, the chicanery, the, yeah. the, the gangsters involved, some of the characters. James Tony in particular stood hmm. out as like one of the biggest characters in boxing. So yeah, we'll probably talk about Donald McRae's newest book a little later on but Dark Trade another one to add to the list I think there was a reprint maybe even done this year or last year so another classic worth reading but let's chat about this year's books mm-hmm. and I think it would be rude not to start <laughs> contractually <laughs> contractually <laughs> with I know something in the water how Skibbereen Rowing conquered the world I hope I have the title right there yeah. author Kieran McCarthy publisher Mercy or Press so Jor, you done the reviews or for this for the Southern Star mm. for the books this this week. I assume you've read at least some of Something in the Water. Oh yeah, I'm nearly finished it. Yeah. Nearly finished it, and um, uh, like people will say, ah, yeah, you're putting it number one because you know he's the editor and you write for the Star. I'd be very honest. I wasn't sure about it before I started. I, I mean, I know I knew Karen was writing it. I knew he was dealing with a huge amount of raw material. You know, and the thing with raw material is if you don't if you don't get to the nub and the hub and the heart and the soul, sorry, of the story, you just end up recounting a lot of what people already know. So the beauty of something in the water is, as I've said in my review, I said it's it's by far and away the best book I've read this year, sports book, far and away. And the reason it is, is it starts with the O'Donovan brothers as it should, I think, because everybody is interested in that story still and they want to know a little bit more about it. And the thing I love about the Donovan's actually that you, you mentioned in the book is after all they go through, after all the attention, w- winning the silver medals, they're back in the Olympic Village and they're pissed off because they never won gold. And that's the mark of the Donovan's that for all the, everything that happened afterwards and as brilliant as it was, they're proper athletes. And then what I love most about it, I was kind of saying, okay, where do we go from here now? And what Kieran brilliantly did was he started with Dominic Casey, which is the best person to start with because in the centre of all of this, whether Dominic likes it or not, and I know he doesn't, mm-hmm. uh, he is the soul of that club. And then you hear about the founding, the three guys, that fo- uh, the three men that founded the club, how all that happened. You see the other, you see what the other roars went through just to even get to a European Championship, just even to get to World Championship. And you actually have to stop and stand back and go, right, the, I know some of the people you're talking about here as I'm reading it. I know the places you're talking about. And you have to kind of just unplug yourself for a second and go, Jesus, it's Gibreen. And this is the world stage. This is the Olympic stage. But I don't, I'll be honest, I, I, I think Kieran, and I said it, I think I said it, I don't know who I said it to him, if I didn't rewrite about it, and I think I wrote a review in the Echo. He, he was the perfect person to write it because he's not from here, but he's in here and he's immersed here. And you have a fresh pair of eyes and you have a fresh pair, you have a fresh pair of eyes and you have a fresh view on everything that was going on. And I think Malachy Clerken in the Irish Times has praised it as the best written sports book, which is the highest, one of the highest praises you can get from the best sports writer, one of the best sports writers in the country. And what I said in the review, and I mean it, I mean, if I never wrote for the Southern Star, I would mean it. I know nothing about rowing. I know the O'Donovan's. I, know, I have an idea what happens at, at Gallas. But this isn't about rowing. It's about the people and what the people of Skibreen have done to get where they are. And it is from start to finish and I'm nearly at the finish finally <laughs> it is because I'm reading three books in a minute but this is by far and away the most entertaining one it's brilliant and it's the one if you're thinking what do I get for Christmas for so and so because he's not really he or she is not into sports well this isn't it's a sports book but it's not necessarily about sports as we've already said the, the common thread of the mm-hmm. books that we like and you'll love it and if you're from West Cork or you're used to live in West Cork or you're living away from West Cork 
definitely you, you'll, you'll really love it because you'll know the places that he's described and the people that he's talking about. And as I said, it would have been very easy to do the O'Donovan Brothers Chronicles. Thankfully, you didn't. Mm -hmm. You gave them their due. You put them in the right position as they would appreciate. And you gave a little bit more that things that I didn't know. And for that, I think it's fantastic. But it is interesting what you're saying about the book then. Like, it is based around the O'Donovans to a certain degree at the start and around the sport of rowing. But as you mentioned with Rough Ride by Paul Kimmage, mm -hmm. the Tyler Hamilton book, and Dark Trail by Don McRae that we spoke about earlier, they are books based in a certain sport but they're not yep. about the sport they're mm -hmm. about much more than that and I think Kieran's done that really well as Jura said so Kieran, I don't expect you to praise your own book you've done that enough in the office for the last uh, six to <laughs> six months or so but just tell us about the, the process of writing it like because as Jura mentioned the amount of raw material you have there you have reports in the Star Archive mm -hmm. Going back 50, 60 odd years. I don't know how long. How old is the club? It's 49 years 49 old. 49 years. So yeah. 50 odd years worth of archive. Interviews with dozens and dozens of people, former members, just local people who have followed their story. Mm. Just maybe bring us back to the start. And when you were planning on writing this book, how much of a, how big a task did it seem at the start? It's probably the biggest jigsaw I've ever put together because. Like I said, the club, club is 49 years old, but their history, the club doesn't have its own history book. Um, so you're trying to collate all this information. So obviously this, this, the Southern Star archives here were a huge help. Um, but then you were basically relying on the, I suppose, the goodwill and openness of the people of the club um, to I suppose, allow me into their lives to tell their story. And from day one, the club was so obliging. They were so on board with the idea. Um, even I remember one night meeting um Danny Murphy and uh, Richard Hosford, two of the three founding members, we met up one night in the in the club in, in the clubhouse and a couple of hours there, and it just took off from there. So it was a lot of interviews, um, just putting the different pieces of the jigsaw together and then trying to work out, okay, what goes where, trying to fill in the gaps and so on, because you're covering from 1970 up to 1919, so it's a long time to spend and you don't want to miss any of the central characters and you want to get as many people as you can. So um, it was challenging. I'll be honest, there was, there was a couple of moments where absolutely pig sick of it. You mm. kind of you hear people say, like you know, mm. Joe, you've written a book, mm. that you're going to hit a wall as such and you're sitting there on your own in a room with your laptop. You're thinking, where the hell do I go now with it? Kind of, it's, it's just not working. This is the biggest load of nonsense you know it just doesn't make sense to you at that moment but the funny thing is at our launch a couple of weeks ago i um, delighted that lord david putnam was there to launch the book and he was asking me kind of just about the process and so on and he said did you reach that moment for you hated it hmm. and it wasn't going to work out and he goes and i said i, I did and he goes well then, then then you were really writing a book he yeah. goes i think everybody hits hits that that wall you could say but um I think the the highlight for me, and it's such a, a small little um, well, two two highlights. Um, the first highlight was um, emails that Dominic Casey sent to sent to his roars. Dominic is a huge man for detail, but um, anyone who knows Dominic knows he's very secretive. And I'd asked Dominic about about how he used to um, kind of uh, communicate with the athletes, and I said I heard email is is one of your methods, and no, 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 there's nothing nothing to that, and. I was hearing all these different stories and Dominic being Dominic wasn't too open with, with that information but then um, thankfully I, I know a good few people in the club and a few of them helped out by sending me on some of the emails that Dominic sent to them and all of a sudden I was in his world and I saw how he worked and how he operated. And just uh, Did you get these emails without his permission? 
Yes. And just, you know, just GDPR 2019, you know, you're oh, really, really careful about that. It, it was actually well before 2019, so we're kind of, <laughs> we're talking 2018 here, so we're well sorted. So, um, so once I got these emails, and it was, and it was especially, what I found so fascinating, fascinating is, I'm going to go back to the, to the summer of 2016, when Dominic was over in, um, in Banyoles in Northern Spain with Gary and Paul, they were preparing for the Olympics, and the Irish Rowan Championships were going on that July uh, back in Cork, back here in in, in, um, in in Ascara. And for the first time since 1980, Dominic actually missed the Irish Rowan Championships. But he was keeping in touch with everyone in the club by his emails. He sent emails that night, kind of saying, well done, um, keep up the good work. Um, that Sunday, Skibbereen, I think they won 13 national titles that weekend. And Skibbereen became the number one most successful rowing club in the country. That was the weekend. And Dominic wasn't there for it. But the next morning... I think it was on half 11, he just sent everyone a quick email, congratulations on all this success, um, fantastic job, so proud of all of you, etc, etc. And it was 37 or 41 minutes later, he sent an email to all the male members of the club. Um, the subject head was like uh, 2017. He saw an opening in the international calendar that Skibreen could put a men's eight on the water at the 2017 National Championships. And he sent out an email to all the male members in the club who were eligible for that board to say, if you work hard enough, if you commit, if you, if you give me everything, we can put a boat on the water and we can win the eight. So this was still while the club was basking in the glory of becoming the number one club in the country. And it was before the Olympics and Gary and Paul were training, but the man was actually planning ahead for 2017. So it's just a small insight into how he works. So um, he was a central character to this. And uh, yeah, it was a tough slog, but we got there in the end and delighted with the, the final product. So. I'm always interested when books are written about various different people. So you mentioned Dominic there and the O'Donovans. I always think when I'm reading a book, we'll say a biography that's written by someone else and not the, the person in question, how they, how they actually react when the book is published. So have you had much feedback from members of the Skibbereen Rowing Club who are central characters in the book and has it been well received I assume yeah. it has been like I'm not going <laughs> oh, to but uh, how, 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 have, how have they responded to the book since it's um, been published I'm not, I'm not just saying it but it's been all positive I haven't got one negative comment yet maybe, maybe, maybe that's going to come you know you never know I it. haven't finished yet so, <laughs> so that's one negative comment that's on the way but um, no kind of like a couple of the club members they said they just couldn't put the book down um, Orla Hayes read it over two days Emily Delory mm. the PRO did the same um, Ross O'Donovan who was one of the kind of he's a great character who I met through the book um, he sent me an email just um, I think he got the book on a Friday he'd finished it the weekend and he sent me an email on the Monday and he loved it and he said and one of the best comments I got my wife said you got me just right <laughs> like, and, and when you're thinking that I'd only met Ross through the kind of process of writing the book I spent an evening with him up in UCC and he gave me a tour UCC and so on and for his wife didn't to kind of come and say you nailed him you got him perfect you know kind of that to me is is a success because it is difficult when you're there's so many different I suppose people involved and you're trying to you're trying to show them in, in an honest and truthful light and mm. um, so to get the feedback like I have has been it's been brilliant you know and it's made it made it all worthwhile um, like I said it puts all the hard moments in the background that's all mm. in the past now and it's just the book is there to be enjoyed now okay then we'll, we'll move on from your book just for a, a couple of minutes we'll look at some of the other ones but before we do Kieran, there is a, a special event happening this weekend in, in Bandon I believe in relation to your book and another of the ones we're going to speak about a little later so do you want to just 
Give yourself yeah. a little plug there. In Vanden Book Plus this Saturday between two and five. Um, that's the the bookshop in the Riverview. Riverview, Riverside. Riverview. Riverview. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. at Riverview. Um, shopping centre there in Bandon. Um, Adrian Russell, author of the Double, and myself um, will be signing books between two and five. So, like like Jack said earlier, and I think um, um, George said as well, it's an ideal, they're ideal Christmas presents. So, if you want to pop in between two and five, the Bandon Book Plus this Saturday, Adrian Russell with the Double and myself with something in the water, we'll both be there signing books. So. The more the merrier. So, ladies, form an orderly <laughs> queue. Uh, we'll just, as I said, we'll move on then. And I suppose the biggest sports book released in Ireland this year in terms of coverage it got it was Richie Sadler, Richie Sadler's book, Recovering. He obviously went on the Late Late Show. So, it's been talked about in depth everywhere in the country already. But that doesn't mean we're not going to take a look at it because I know, Ger, mm. you you really enjoyed this book. Um, he wrote it along with Dion, Dion Fanning. So just your overall thoughts on the book? Uh, again, I'm about three quarters of the way through it, to be honest with you, because um, I just haven't had time to get to, to go from start to finish with it. But look, I'm a fan of Richie's for many, many years. Richie was kind enough to put his name to my own book nearly a decade ago, and he didn't even know me. He was kind enough to put a... Even back then, you could just tell from brief conversations that I had him just what a nice guy he was. Um, the, the thing I wrote, the thing, and, and the fact that Dion Fanning ghosted or helped him with it uh, Deanna is somebody like we've all read uh, down through the years just in Sunday Independent I know he's, he's, he's moved online but it has always been just brilliant with words brilliant able to tell a tale and, and, and bring it all together this the more I read of it isn't really a sports book and I've said that in the review for this week's star it's probably the best Irish book out there because Richie could have done what all footballers do and talked about his career and his punditry and given a few stories which he does but it's you know there's so much depth to it. You can see he's very deep thinker and, and talker from interviews with him anyway. But this this could have very easily spiraled into all the things that went wrong in his life, and there was a lot of things that happened to him and horrible things that happened to him, and he's still recovering from them. Um, but to become a psychotherapist and the way he went about doing that is just so so different for us to hear. You know, normally from a footballer, you know, it's it's not usually the career path that they take. Um, and for him to do it, and for him, I think for him to be so open about it, like the, the most honest book I ever read was Paul McGrath's. A brilliant book. A very, very hard to read though. One because, of the, the toughest book I've ever read. Yeah, exactly. And everyone that reads it says the same. You love Paul McGrath, you want the best for him, but when you're reading about what he put himself through, it just there's times you have to put the book down. And I found myself doing that as well, in the, even in the early yeah. stages, Richie, because I knew what was coming. But you... It's the beauty of it is the way Dion Fanning has helped him write it because it's not sensationalist. It's re- it's you can hear Richie talking as he's doing it, as you're reading through it, and it's it's just really really good book. Again, it's in the sports section. It's one of those sports books. It is about sport because sport is central to his life and his theme, but it doesn't define him. And what that means in English is it's everything else that happened to him as a human being, which is far more interesting than his football career or his punditry career, which I still want to hear about because that's how you relate to him. But I think since he did the interview on the Late Late Show and there, there were reviews that the book, you know, you hear the book getting all these words and things, you go, okay, look, it's, it's obviously good, but is it going to be as good as they say it is? Yeah, yeah. It is. Because he's analysing himself in the yeah. book. Like, you know, you said there, he's a yeah. kind of a psychotherapist and stuff, but he's, he's actually going through his own life. Like, every page is analysing himself yeah. for what he's done, the decisions he's made and stuff. And there's a reason that one Irish sports book would hear. Like, it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a fantastic read. And um, he could have concentrated just on, like you said there, just the mm. sports side of it. Mm. You know, his soccer career. Millwall alone yeah. <laughs> would have been a book yeah. because if you think about it, how how hard I suppose is it to reveal yourself you know and if he said that before kind of I think that um that he got, he was approached a couple of years ago to write a book and he turned it down 
Um, but when when this opportunity came up, he took a bit of time, and it, it, the time felt right for him yeah. to write this book now because he reveals so much about himself, his own flaws, and how he's coped with, with, with certain um, situations. Mm. That you need to have a certain, uh, I suppose, confidence. Strength is the word. Mm. You need to have strength exactly, in yourself yeah. to be able to open yourself up to the world. Really, to be willing to do it. Yeah, to be willing yeah, to do it. Yeah. So it's a it's a fantastic book. Yeah. Mm. It, it was a fitting winner of the Irish Sports Book of the Year so um, hmm. that is one for the for the Christmas list this Definitely. year for, for any sports fan but even outside of sports it's just one that transcends sport you know so hmm. cracking read yeah well the only review I can give it I've only had a chance to read the prologue so far in an airport bookshop <laughs> but you're one of those you <laughs> you can sense already but yeah. my, my review having just read the prologue yeah. I could have stood there and read the whole book that's the thing that's the sign in, in one sitting like yeah. so I knew yeah. and I expect I'd get it for Christmas because yeah. generally that's all I get for Christmas is sports books Same which there. are good presents I, 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 I'm not too upset when I get those but anyway let's move on hmm. and the next book we're going to talk about George, it's another one you enjoyed I actually hadn't heard about this book so you yeah. might give us maybe a brief summation yeah. of what it's about and what you liked about it so it's the club how the Premier League became the richest, most disruptive business in sport. It's written by Joshua Robinson and Jonathan Clegg and published by John Murray Publishers. So, Joe, take it away. Basically, um, I'd heard about this book. It was published last year, but it's been republished and they updated it for what's happened in the last 12 months. I kind of heard about it and it, these two guys got access to David Dean, who was in charge of Arsenal for many, many years. Martin Edwards, who was the kingpin of Manchester United before. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson came along. And people like Ken Bates at Chelsea, uh, Daniel Levy at Tottenham Hotspur. So... Back in the day when the English Football League was crip- was falling apart, basically, uh, ridden with hooliganism, and there was basically five, six major clubs, this is the story about how they all got together and all agreed to work together, ev- eventually work together, and how Sky came on board, how Rupert Murdoch got involved. Now, that alone wouldn't be a selling point for me, because most of us know a bit about that story, but oh my God, what I didn't know. The things I did not know about the, what had happened at Manchester City before the Sheikh Mansour took over and Gary Cook and what they near, what they had to do and what happened in the in the, in the there were 150 million in debt and in big trouble and all of a sudden he just came along and wiped it out and they were told they had to buy a player within 12 hours of the transfer deal and they got the Brazilian striker who's Rubinho Rubinho they didn't even want them they just went and got him because they were told they had to make a major signing so they did it within 12 hours. There's a story of how Chelsea, the night before they played Liverpool and beat them at Anfield to get into the Champions League, they were cr- crippled with debt. I didn't realise how much debt. And so to the point where Bruce Buck, who was the guy pulling the, the strings, pardon the pun, the money strings, brought in a general, a Vietnam War veteran to talk to them about survival and spoke to the players. It clearly worked as they beat Liverpool the following day. story about how Manchester United and Tottenham went to together as two as one group and call themselves Mantot in, in South Africa <laughs> back in the uh, early 90s whatever and just did a tour there to, to, to raise awareness and it was only then that the, the people the power brokers started to understand how much money was there to be made it's if you're a soccer fan if you like the Premier League but you don't necessarily like match reports but you're a fan of the product this is for you because there's so much more to it and the two guys involved uh wrote for the, I think the Wall, Street, the Wall Street Journal, they came through there, I could be wrong there now, they got unprecedented access. They got access to all previous meetings, they, they heard from Lord Sugar and all these people. The guys that made money and made millions and how they made it is fascinating and where it's going is even more fascinating. So it's kind of came under the radar, enjoyed it way more than I thought it would, the club. Really, really good read if you're a soccer fan. Okay, that sounds good. That's the club by, who did we say? Joshua Robinson and Jonathan Clay. Now, I think we'll, we'll rattle through the next few mm. because we're going to hear from the doubles author, Adrian Russell, in a few minutes. But just a few we have jotted down here. Mm. 
Chaos is a Friend of Mine, The Life and Crimes of Conor McGregor hmm. by Ewan McKenna, published by, I can't even say that publisher's name, so I'm not going to try. <laughs> De Coubertin. De Coubertin. De Coubertin, yeah, De Coubertin yeah. we'll say something like that. But I guess this one is going to be, this one is probably a book for everyone. Like, yeah. No, everyone's going to enjoy this. This is Ewan McKenna. And Ewan, you either love Ewan or you don't like him uh, in terms of a writer, but he's, he's controversial on, on social media. He doesn't hold back on the dubs, GAC, and he doesn't hold back on anything. Or Matt City. Or Matt City, City or anyone yeah. he has. Or Conor McGregor. Uh, Conor McGregor. Before he wrote. Before. Why this is good. If you I read uh, John Kavanagh's book, his coach, uh, yeah. brilliant book. I read other books about Conor McGregor. They're okay. This is centered around the Habib Nagurm Nagurm fight in Vegas. But it talks about what's going on outside the octagon and McGregor's life outside of it and what's going on there. I'm only very, very, I'm only just started a bit into it, but I've read a lot of reviews and I've read a lot of extracts. Mm-hmm. It's McKenna at his best. Yeah. And if McKenna is writing about a subject that he's deeply interested and invested in, it's going to be a good read. If you f- like mixed martial arts, which I do, if you like UFC, this is a good, this is, this is definitely even one, two chapters in a good purchase. And I think if you love or hate McGregor and yeah. no more are starting to not be in his fan club, I think you'd want to read this because yeah. he's, an, he's a global, international superstar probably is the most famous Irish sports person yep. at the moment I can't think of anyone more famous than him so if this kind of like it's the title there The Life and Crimes of Conor mm. McGregor like we, we know he's no angel you know in and out of the ring so mm. it's going to be very interesting to see what, what Ewan puts there and it's it's definitely one like, I'm looking forward to read yeah, I'm, really I'm looking, looking forward, forward to it. reading it as well because I, um, during his rise and pre that Nomega made of bout like I remember saying to, to people who kind of dismiss it I, I was comparing him to a modern day Mike Tyson not in terms of his actual mm. fighting ability mm-hmm. but in terms of his global superstardom he was getting in trouble with the police yeah. and he was getting arrested there was mm. videos of him fighting on the street mm. and he had this baddest man on the planet mm. gimmick going on and he was <laughs> based on the extracts I read of Ewan's book as well he was living up to that committing mm. crimes all around Dublin and mm. Las Vegas so allegedly like, mm. allegedly so whether as Kieran says you like him or hate him he's one of the great modern I don't know personas personas yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. exactly that, you couldn't say it and, and it's actually good time for you and with Conor McGregor making his comeback I, early next January year with Sharon Cowboy Sharon yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think he knew that at the time but it's great timing it's for him yeah. brilliant timing and this is a book that won't just sell in Ireland this should go internationally yeah. too because like I said yeah. Conor McGregor has that like persona but that kind of just to put, stick a pin in it like McKenna said if you go to, he lives in Brazil now you and McKenna and he said if, you go, if, you, if you're in Brazil and you say I'm Irish the first thing they say back to you Conor McGregor I, I played rugby for a season out in Malta when I lived there and there's before, a book there <laughs> before all the games all the Maltese guys on the team would walk around doing the McGregor yeah. strut like Just this is the kind strut, of uh, yeah. uh, transcendence he has mm-hmm. but anyway that's uh, The Life and Crimes of Conor McGregor by Ewan McKenna so we look forward to that one a few more then another we I mentioned at the top of the show that mm. my favourite sports book of all time was probably Dark Trade by Donald McRae and he's got a new one out this year in in Sunshine or in Shadow and it's published by Simon and Schuster Limited I don't know if either of you know much about this book but it's basically the story of a man Mm. called Jerry Story who was a boxing coach at the Holy Family Club in Belfast throughout the Troubles and this man is just an absolute icon of Irish boxing for the work he done both in the gyms and outside the gyms keeping young men Mm. off the streets who would have otherwise got caught up in the troubles and you could not pick a better man than Donald McRae to tell a story like that mm-hmm. so he goes in depth in Jerry Story's life and the work he done in bringing communities together there was tales he tells in the book of on nights there was fights in 
his area of Belfast. Both sides, the Unionists and the Republicans or Nationalists or whatever you like to be known as, would come together and say, okay, no violence tonight because there's a boxing show. And Jerry mm. Story had that pull. So this is a story that deserves to be told. And as I said, Donald McRae telling it, you mm. could not ask for a better author for a story like that. So that's one that's one to look out for. Uh, any more you want to mention before we hear from Adrian? Just one that I wanted to mention before we talk about The Double is a book that I came across. It's been out for a couple of years. It's Tony Ten. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a true story and a frightening true story about a man in Gore in County Wexford, ordinary just up like the rest of us, never gambled in his life, got stuck in it one day and it just spiralled frighteningly out of control. I'd like to say there's a happy ending. There isn't that he came out, he went to prison, he came out of it, but he lost so much along the way. It's it's a sports book uh, by Declan Lynch, but it's 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 much more than that. And I'd, I'd actually recommend it for any parent or anyone like that that knows of anyone that has any kind of gambling addiction because it's it's a worthwhile read and I was fascinated by it a year I wanted to get around to it but um it's it's well worth it you probably pick it up for 10 or 12 euro now in the shops at the moment Tony 10 um and uh, how uh, it's it's just I mean if they ever make a movie of it you would believe it <laughs> I, I I read it on my holidays in August yeah. of this year I read it in two days it yeah. reads like a thriller it's yeah. one of the greatest pieces of like uh, yeah. Great pieces, sports writing. I don't know writing. I I've ever read. Yeah, it's, it's and, but Declan yeah. Inch is a genius. Like, Dying, right? yeah. he's, well, he's one of the best in the game, and he tells this story brilliantly. But yeah, so I second that. Tony, Tony Ten. Ten yeah. I'm going to keep it local, and I'm going to the the, the bowling book this year. Um, board coming here and celebrating 50 years International Bowl Playing Association, 1969 to 2019. Those watching on YouTube and online can see me holding it up now. Um, why I'm keeping it so parochial and so local. This is just a great because mm. bowling, road bowling here in West Cork is huge, you know. And it's 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 a great book. It goes through the international bowling scene for the last fifty years, and it's just a historical collection and data of from pitchers to everyone who took part and stuff. And it was a really important book for the for the for the road bowling community. And I just think for anyone involved in road bowling or associated, it's a great Christmas present. I think it's only yep. fifteen euro, you know. So it, it really is, and it's a collector's item too. So. Um, I really like that. You did a great job on it. Yeah, an absolute cracker. Um, well, we're going to chat then about the double. Mm-hmm. This is a book by Adrian Russell of the Forty Two IE, and we're going to hear from him in a minute. He spoke to Kieran a little earlier on, but before we do, I'd like to get maybe Jur and Kieran's thoughts on the book. Jur, have you had a chance to, to read any? Of I've only stuff? read extracts of it so far, but I'll tell you what. What I love about it already is um, when the interviews he he conducted or Adrian and he, he he got huge positive feedback much mm-hmm. like you with your with your rowing book about Skibreen he got access to pretty much pretty much all nearly all of, of, of both the Cork football and hurling camps I remember the time very well and I didn't have to be a GA fan t- to appreciate it Like, but to win a double is a very unique thing and I agree Manicky Clerkin I think he wrote during the week like I don't think it's been appreciated at all no. because it was just kind of like the Cork footballers it was the second in a row two in a row but for the hurlers they came out of absolutely nowhere but what I love about the extracts that I've read already and I've read a lot of Adrian's work on the 42 that I don't through the years he's very very good at um, pushing a story along very quickly mm-hmm. because he lets the person he's interviewing do all the talking and I can hear Niall Callan. I can hear Tomas Mulcahy and I can hear Gerald McCarthy and I can hear Billy Morgan in my head as I'm reading the quotes. And you don't, I think it is one for Cork GA fans, definitely, and it's a big county, but I think there's enough in it for outside of Cork, possibly over the border as well, that would really appreciate it, especially in Mead as well, because there's a lot of feedback from the other counties. It's already, even from what little I've read of it, and I will get to it and I will read it, and I've recommended it because so many people have come across it and finished it mm-hmm. already, have said to me, 
he ha- hits it nail on the head. He actually gets it right to balance. You could very easily lose the footballers or the hurlers on the way. Adrian being Adrian, such a good rider. It's uh, it's I, I can see that it's going to be a success for him. And it's even there, like just just on, on the back of the book, and if Michael Minahan of the Examiner says the greatest achievement in GA history finally gets its due, the Dublin is a singular triumph. Dave Hannigan said one of the greatest Irish sporting stories finally gets the brilliant book it deserves, mm. and it is a brilliant book. Um, I remember Adrian, like you said there, his style of writing. Go back to 2000, I think it was 2006 World Cup. He was writing a diary in the Examiner. Um, I think, I'm sure it was 2006. And he was over there trying to get his mini games as he, as he could, like living off maybe 50 quid a day or 100 quid a day or something. He was trying to do it on a shoestring. And at that time, it was like, you'd buy the Examiner just to read Adrian's kind of, mm. kind of daily update, his daily diary. And he's never lost that talent. Like he's a very, very talented writer. And it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant book. Um, so for the GFN in your life, but even even for the sports person in, mm. in your life, you know, kind of it's it's just a brilliant read and it has to be in a lot of Christmas stockings, I think, mm. this Christmas. He's done a superb job on it. And shout out to Mercier Press for the cover of the double yeah, and the cover of class. something in the water. Too the, the, in, the inside of it actually was absolutely brilliant. Just inside the match programme. I really mm. love that. It was a nice touch, yeah. And a really nice touch. And like not to take away your the cover of something in the water was an absolutely cracking effort yes. as well. So that's Mercier. The two, I think they're the two best. I know I'm probably biased here, but they're the two best book covers of the year. Well, it beats the old uh, face on the cover, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm sick of seeing that. But obviously, that's to draw people to the book. We understand the marketing of it all. But um, let's leave our chat about the double there then, and we'll hear from author Adrian Russell. Congrats on the book, Adrian. Superb read. Um, the timing is brilliant. It's almost 30 years since Cork won the double back in 1990 and um, this book is important for so many reasons um, because it was such a terrific achievement what Cork achieved achieve back then but was it a surprise to you that this book hadn't been written before? Yeah I suppose that's where the opportunity came from the the, the gap was there for the likes of me to, to nip in there um, but I suppose, uh, which is great for me but I suppose that it, it does kind of speak to the fact that the, the achievement was maybe uh, it doesn't get their respect perhaps that it should or hadn't um, had the impact over the years that I think it should have like you know obviously it's a unique achievement and there was a lot of hops to the ball had to go right and there was a lot of big characters had to kind of um, make it happen like so yeah it was surprising to me and when you look at it from you know maybe a cynical point of view and when you're trying to put a book together that you know all the ingredients were there for a really good story like you know big characters the, you know the narrative was there. They had to, you know, you know, better made it to the overcome great Kerry team, and then they had to over football as we talking about. They had to overcome Mead and and the hurlers were very much, you know, down the dumps in the late eighties and early nineties. So, um, yeah, it was surprising. I suppose um, there's better guys than me probably that could have done. It, you know, like the, the Michael Foley's and the McMinions or whatever the world. But uh, yeah, I was happy to kind of take it on and. Um, it kind of became apparent that the the, the players were were happy enough to, to chat about it once I got their numbers. And and then like as was obviously as a Corkman yourself and, and and a huge Cork fan, did, did that make it easier or harder to write this book? Kind of easier in the fact that you kind of knew the backstory and how much this meant to the people of Cork, or harder in the sense that the fact that you knew these people that there was more pressure on you because you were telling the story for the first time. So, do you think do you think being a Corkman helped or, or hindered you in this this process, Adrian? Yeah, I think both. To be honest, like initially it made it easier. I mean, you know, um, you know, you have a great book out this year may, may I say this year as well I mean I, I'd imagine that was done you know in your own time really we both have and, and lots of these people like us have full time jobs you're kind of doing it as a you know a labour of love and a, a passion really so 
when you get deep into a project like that, you want to be interested in it. And I definitely was. But I don't think I realised really, um, I don't press the right word, but the fact that I am, you know, in living in Cork and from Cork, mm-hmm. you know, all my friends and family care about this as well. So everywhere I go, people are, um, you know, offering opinions on what I <laughs> produce. Like, so, um, you know, after the fact, there's a lot of pressure and maybe it would have been wiser to take on, you know, a first book, if you want to call it a first book. Um, you know, on a subject that wasn't so kind of, I suppose, intimate or whatever to, to my life. But, uh, you know, to, to be honest, I don't think it would have got done unless I really cared about the subject. And, um, you know, I was happy to spend hours. You know, I kind of, I, I live in Cork, as I said, but I work in Dublin, so there's a lot of hours on the train. So I was happy to kind of go back to old newspapers for, you know, a couple of hours and look up when you're in Limit Junction or whatever, you know. So, like, it kind of getting deep into a subject like that, you kind of need to... I suppose care care passionately about it, like so. Um, that's how it came about. You kind of mentioned there, Adrian, like kind of writing a book. It kind of has to be labour of love, and that actually comes true in the double. You know, you can see it in every page and every chapter and stuff. Kind of, you can see that this meant an awful lot to you. And um, even before we'd have a close look at the book, kind of like like you know now better than most, writing a book is a journey of ups and downs. Um, what were some of the highlights from for you over the over the process of putting this together? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I don't know. It was such a like I was eight, let's say I was eight, the year of the double. Like, um, so you know, there was these were kind of childhood. Without overstating it, these were kind of you know childhood heroes of mine. Like, so it was a real privilege to, you know, there's a lot of cups of coffee, you know, and you know, good conversations with people who I would have always looked up to, and, um, you know, you kind of, you kind of realise that that was a, a privilege, and it was a nice way to to spend a few hours like and they didn't have to do it like so you know so I don't know what comes to mind I suppose is kind of uh, you know the likes of Larry Tompkins asking me or telling me to come in you know early one morning before he opens the pub and making a pot of coffee and you know I probably asked two or three questions over the course of an hour and a half and he just kind of lays out his memories you know um, as much as I was able to get out of him so like that kind of stuff um, the laws there was like I suppose just on the flip side like the fact that you're kind of chasing people and mm-hmm. um, you can't necessarily pin them down for a chat so their uh, perspective isn't as prominent as you would like it to be but like I mean that's also going to happen on, um, I think there's you know I don't know what it is but maybe up to 40 interviews kind of make up this skeleton of the book like so um, you know there's a, there's a lot in it but uh, yeah, that, that would be really just the kind of the fact that these people I suppose trusted me if that's the right mm-hmm. word to kind of put their story forward and put it all together like and, and the reaction has been good and fair, like very good like um you'd be nervous enough after the fact of you know is this a fair representation of of what happened and whatever but uh you know without speaking for the players and I'm sure there's you know different views but like generally speaking I think they're all pretty happy with the kind of spotlight that this has put on their amazing achievement. Oh, brilliant. Like, and like, like you said earlier too, Adrian, I suppose, like maybe this achievement hasn't got the due recognition that it has deserved over the years. Um, so just set the scene for us a small bit heading into 1990. Right? With the footballers, it probably wasn't as much as I was surprised that they went on to win the All-Ireland, obviously having won in 89. But the hurlers were in a far, in a far different kind of situation heading into 1990. Yeah, they were exactly. Yeah. So they um, were going back to a fair day one the all in 86 and that was the end of that kind of Jimmy Barry Murphy team and um, you know so that kind of broke up a bit and they, you know then Tipperary famously ended the famine in 87 as Richie Stakeman said um, and, and they were on Babs and, and Tipper on top then for a couple of years and in 89 then Cork kind of really hit an idea as a 
was characterised, I suppose, in '89 by by a defeat to, to Waterford in a Munster semi-final replay, I think. Um, so, like, yeah, I was kind of back to square one at that stage. Um, they, so they went in and basically uh, recruited, <coughs> excuse me, Father O'Brien, um, or the canon as he became known after the fact of Father O'Brien then, um, who was a very charismatic, um, I suppose, hurling fanatic, you know, from, from the West Cork area, from Michigan there. Uh, he had a lot of success with Fern Ferris um, with Harty Cups and then in UCC with 10 in a row, Fitzgibbons or whatever it was. Um, he was part of the 84 team with our management backroom team with Justin McCarthy and then so he came in and he kind of pulled a lot of strands together and he brought back people like Tomas McCarthy and George Fitzgerald came in and see big characters who'd been kind of ostracised in, in 89 he, he brought in young lads like Mark Foley um, you know from uh, Don West Corkway as well obviously um, you know John Fitzgibbon a charismatic forward from the Glen you know all these kind of under 21 stars who kind of stepped up and, and basically he just I suppose as much as anything tactical, he kind of just convinced them that they had the way with all to kind of go and um, take on anybody. Like, and then, you know, famously the Donkeys and Derbys episode happened in, you know, before the 1990 Monster Hurling final with Keating, mm-hmm. not even making a slip of the tongue, but it was used against them anyway. Um, and, you know, Cork won a classic there in Turles and then they were up and running in those days. You're into a semi final, obviously, um, and they were on the road, yeah. So um, it, it was a real underdog one and a kind of a flash in the pan. And when you look at it in context, if that didn't happen, Cork would have been down for a long time, really. You know, um, there was a couple of teams in transition there, and they didn't win another one until 1999. Um, so yeah, the, the, all the ingredients were there for a really good story. Because I was kind of worried, to be honest, looking on a bit, like um, you know, the footballers, as you say, that like there's almost a book in them on their own. I think, like to be honest, they're brilliant characters and they, they were on the road together almost like a club team for four or five years like but the hurlers were kind of um, you know I won't say one season wonders because they weren't but um, they definitely kind of came out of nowhere initially and uh, the cannon was gone again by kind of I suppose after 93 and there's so many strong I was going to say there's so many strong fig- figures and characters throughout this book and like you mentioned there the cannon I suppose the cannon and Billy Morgan like they were the two central figures in both camps kind of what did you learn about them um, through, through writing the book um, jeez, oh I don't like um, it, like to be honest, I'd hate to think that. Like f- for me, he was a big. I went to farm first myself, mm-hmm. and I, I won't say I knew the man because like, I absolutely didn't. But uh, you know, he was a big character around the place, and um, even in Cork Hurling, you know, it, it, there was a touch of the kind of cartoon about it. You know, the, a caricature is a better word. You know, people, and I, I, I was hoping to kind of learn a lot more about him as a. A person reading, I like the main thing I would say is that he was very like he was like his his back was worse than his body, as Mark Foley, I think, said in the book. And that, that was for me too, like he was a very human man, like there was a very, I think, as far as I can tell, you know, a very kind side to him as well. Like he he wasn't all about the, the stick, like, um, so there, you know, that kind of persona on the pitch with the kind of staccato barking out of orders you know that was very much him as a trainer but as well as that he kind of did look after and he was you know cognizant that these are young people or whatever as well <coughs> excuse me um, but he just loved hurling like I mean I don't know how he fitted it all into his day like he, he ran a busy parish belong at the time um, you know he was constantly kind of ducking out of training to go and do a funeral or kind of make some kind of a house call or whatever and he was you know covered a lot of ground um, but 
and he, he was kind of the old style when he come to the trainer side of him. He, he was the old style as well. He didn't necessarily believe in tactics. You know, it was all about psychology really and kind of playing fair was very important to him. Um, you know, the skills of hurling, kind of old style. Um, he, I think he kind of traded on the fact that he knew Chris Deering a bit and he, <laughs> he kind of brought into that mentality a lot of the old style, you know, winning an All-Under as a cork hurler's birthright almost. Like, um, so he's very charismatic. And like when you, you know, he sadly passed away there in recent years and, you know, it was testament to the, you know, generations and generations of, of hurlers that different, you know, not just into county stars, no, but, you know, kind of people who passed through his his hands really in UCC as well as the school. And like, it's not in the, the book, but I spoke to Nicky English a bit, I think, off the record, um, you know, and it's in his book. I'm not saying he told me this, but it's in his book, um, you know, about how important the canon was to him, mm-hmm. like, even as a temporary player. Like, he, he kind of changed his philosophy on hurling and he knew himself, um, you know, in 1990, that Tipper were in trouble when the canon kind of started to use Bob's words against him and he famously said as he left the pitch the Silver Fox has done it again Like so he, he knew what a, a clever adversary he was I suppose but there was a real human side to him as well and you kind of mentioned there Mark Foley I suppose with the hurlers and I suppose here in West Cork we love to believe and we, we do believe that it is the home of, of, of football in Cork like football heartland and I suppose with the, with the Cork footballers in, the likes of Niall Cahillan, John Cleary, Larry Tompkins, Tony Davies, even the, the late Mick McCarthy, they all feature in this too. So kind of, it like West Cork did play a huge part in, in, in Cork and Cork footballers back in 1990, Adrian. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was like they were really the engine of the team, the, the, the footballers, I think. Um, I suppose Larry Tompkins, like the, the likes of Niall Cahillan, he was on the road and he tasted the defeat with, you know, against Kerry and the, the, those that kind of generation of 1980s Cork footballers used that as fuel really later on. And then the kind of the missing link was maybe Larry Tompkins and as well as Shea he as well who ended up in in the city obviously. But um, yeah, and they had ferocious crack as well. I mean, they were a tight knit bunch, I suppose, like coming from from Bridgeford Street and skippering there every evening. And I suppose they'd want to be kind of doing that spin every second night or whatever like and yeah, as you mentioned uh, I suppose John Cleary and Mick McCarthy were um, kind of gunning for the same spot on the team mm-hmm. and they were very talented foot- footballers in their own right but they never the point was made loads of times really that they never let that kind of rivalry if it was a rivalry get in the way of a really solid friendship like and they were you know in the middle of a lot of car games and, and messing and crack I think that the two lads like so uh, and, and then like Alan, you know as you say like Especially when it kind of came to time when, like, they first had to beat Kerry, like as you know, and then they they were kind of faced this this new monster as it was characterised in, in Mead, like, and the likes of Callan were so important in kind of standing up to, you know, that big beast that that was the Mead teams, like, and you know, inside the dressing room, kind of articulating what needed to be done, and then going out and actually showing it, he, he was massively important. So so yeah, Billy Morgan, especially, you know, was kind of was was quick to. To mention that kind of group of West Cork people and Cork players who uh, who, who were so important throughout that era. I like this is an incredible book, uh, Adrian, packed with incredible characters. And like I think it's a book too that goes much beyond Cork, Cork GA. Like I think I think it's a book the whole country will be interested in because it kind of it lifts the lid and goes behind the scenes on one of the most magical and memorable memorable years ever in the GA. Because 
like we kind of said earlier, it's highly unlikely this is ever going to happen again. So congratulations, Adrian. Superb book and the very, very best of luck with it. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to all things sport in West Cork. Don't forget to pick up this Thursday Southern Star newspaper, including our award-winning sports section with everything a West Cork sports fan could want. In shops across West Cork and online from anywhere in the world via www.southernstar.ie forward slash e-paper. The Southern Star and the Star Sport Podcast, number one for sport in West Cork. Okay, welcome back to the Star Sport Podcast. And before we get the lads' picks for their sports book of the year, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see we've got a selection of books here on the desk. If you're listening, there you can take my word for it. There is a selection <laughs> of books on the desk. And in the spirit of Christmas, we're going to give some of them away. So we've got a copy of Kieran's There's Something in the Water. We've got a copy of Behind the Lines, which is a compilation of some of the best Irish sports writing of the year courtesy of the42.ie. We've got a book from Sportsfile, the photography agency, Great Moments in Irish Football. This is a, this is a real collector's edition, this book. Beautiful this is book. one mm. you'd have on your bookshelf for 20 years mm. and just dip in and out, look at some of the photos, relive some of the best memories in Irish football. We've also got a copy of Sean McGoldrick's The Dublin Marathon, which celebrates 40 years of the Dublin Marathon. Mm-hmm. It was also nominated for a sports book of the year. It was a shortlist of it. Uh, so, so there's another great one. And uh, we also have another copy of the book Kieran mentioned earlier, Bowl Coming the Heron, 50 Years of International Bowl Playing Association. So to win these books, we're going to make it very simple. I've listed them out there. Just email sport at southernstar.ie. Tell us the book you want, your name and your address, and the first five people, I guess, to email in will get a copy of the book they selected. So that's sport at southernstar.ie. I hope that's not too complicated. <laughs> Free books for everyone, so just get in touch. Now, we're going to wrap up, but as I mentioned, quickly, lads, pick for sports book of the year. George, we'll start with you. Um I would say something in the water because it surprised me, not, not, not being smart, it surprised me about just how much how quickly I read it like you it's kind of a good book when you fly through it and you fly through this very quickly and I know nothing about rowing I know, I know a little bit of it and I would give a special mention as well to the club I think for a lot of soccer fans out there and in terms of GA the double I think Adrian's book the double is worth looking at but definitely something in the water yeah. for, for sure I was going to pick the Tottenham Hotspur album kind of the, the annual sorry the 2019 two pages. annual yeah but um, no I'm actually going to plug my own book and I know that's very egotistical of me but um, you're entitled to I'm, it's just <laughs> I really do think um, if, when you don't, if you don't love yourself who will love yeah. you it's just I think kind of, when you're looking at sports books like, and it's interesting that we picked kind of boxing and cycling books earlier yeah. people think of the GA the soccer the rugby and stuff and I think it's worth when you give a chance to a book that's not from one of the so-called bigger sports you know just kind yeah. of that's why I'm saying to, to all the listeners out there when they are deciding their sports book this year kind of it doesn't have to be something in the water but I would recommend it but just consider other sports books when you're looking around the bookstore kind of just don't lunge for what seems like the obvious one kind of think about just kind of the story behind the book and you want the person reading the book to enjoy to, to enjoy the book you want to it to, to take on a, a little adventure take you somewhere where you haven't been before um i think for people in west cork cork and beyond something in the water does that because what you kind of alluded to earlier too this is a small little pocket 
in Skibbereen in West Cork that has changed Irish rowing but also made a huge mark on the international um, rowing, rowing world like Gary and Paul O'Donovan you know when, you're, when, you, when you've made it when you're just known by your first name Gary and Paul and they are you go anywhere in the country Gary and Paul you think of Skibbereen you go anywhere in the country if you say you're from Skibbereen the first thing they say well, that's where the rowers are from yeah. so this just gives you the kind of backstory into that kind of what it takes to be a rower and how the club has developed and evolved over the years to produce um, so many world champions, Olympic silver medalists. Um, so I think, yeah, I'm going to be an egotistical maniac here and plump my own book, but um, I don't think you'll be dis- disappointed. No, I don't think so either, and I might as well complete the hat trick. <laughs> I'll say, I'll say some nice things about, yeah, yeah. about the book as well. But uh, something in the water, like um, uh, people will probably know I'm not originally from West Cork, but I've been living here a while now. But even reading the book, I saw that saying, I'm not from West Cork. I don't know anything about rowing, mm. but within like the first 10, 15 pages, I was like laughing along with mm. the, the lads having to crack at home with their with their father. And Joe, I was just engrossed by it. And so, yeah, I, I, I won't say much more. Kieran yeah. said enough. I really enjoyed it. And I think whether you're a sports fan or not, you'll also like it. I'll also once again give a shout out to the new Donald McRae book, In Sunshine or in Shadow, for anyone interested in Irish history, the troubles, boxing in Northern Ireland. This is really a, it's a special piece of work. So we're not sure. finished just yet, Jack. Okay. Because, okay. because Whoa, like, spoiler. um, George written a book, and I've written a book, but you haven't written a book yet. But what you have written for this week's Southern Star <laughs> is, if you're watching on YouTube, <laughs> it's Jack, Jack, um, Jack's child, his favourite <laughs> Christmas toy story, famous Christmas toy. We were asked to write about our famous. <laughs> And this is this is a, a fantastic read. It's, it's, it's a short story, but it's a brilliant. I started reading this from the first paragraph down to the end. And it probably took me less than five minutes, but it's a brilliant, brilliant read. Um, so I don't want to give away the spoiler too much. Well, I will in a second about what Jack's favorite Christmas tie is. But here in the office, we said we'd present him with something just to get ah, look at this it's not Christmas. Oh man, that's class. We'll actually to infinity and beyond. So basically, if anyone's watching on, on YouTube, this is Jack McCarran's face. Look at that. I'm light here. So Jack, just is ready to look for a doll. Oh, that is a that's yeah. a real treat. It's been a very productive day in the but Southern Star Office. You made my face like. <laughs> yeah, to give you a double chin. It's just a suit. Yeah, what the it's just a suit. Yeah, but like that's my actual case. No, I think we had to give you a double chin. Camera, ne- camera never, camera has ten pounds. <laughs> I think there's some Photoshop tricks gone on there. So I do hope this will inspire you to keep up the short writing, Jack, Very because nice. he's he's quite talented. Look kind of um, <laughs> so that's for this Thursday Southern Star in the Skibbereen Christmas magazine. Jack McCarran takes <laughs> us back to the Christmas of '96, and I would recommend this to yeah. to all our listeners. So that's this Thursday's Southern Star. So great work, Jack. Yeah, thanks very much, Kieran. That means a lot coming from the man who's just plugged his own book for the last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go on, uh, so you can wrap us up there, if you. Want. So again, thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, and thanks, big thanks to the Jeremy McCarthy for for joining us in the studio today. Um, we'll be back at the same time next week. So if you enjoy these shows, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher, wherever else you listen to the show. And the last word is buy a book. I don't yep. think you can put a price on, on books, whether it's a sports book or a fiction or whatever kind of books are fantastic for just for people, just for entertainment alone. Put down the phone, turn off the TV and read a book. Yep, so, absolutely. Um, thanks, everyone. 
Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, number one for sport in West Cork.